everybody. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning. We want to do all we can just to help you uh, wherever you might be in your spiritual journey. Um, we as a church um, are not just gathered here because we're friends, though we are. Um, we're not gathered here just because we have similar interests, though we do and we don't, actually. Um, we're gathered here because there is a real God who's alive. And he is at work, and He's touched our lives and changed us, and He's changing us. And He's called us to assemble in His name and to be in His presence, and that's what we're about on Sundays. And an important part of that is being before His Word. Uh, he has given us His very Word in the Bible. Um, and so we spend time, as we gather, going through His Word and teaching His Word and hearing from Him. It's not an academic exercise. Uh, as much as an exercise of hearing from God Himself through His living Word. His Word is living and active. It, it's not just information, but it's something that transforms us and speaks to us. So we're going through 2 Corinthians as a church, and we are in chapter 4 this week. Uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and we'll read that in a little bit. Actually, we ha I have a new large print Bible here, um, which is really good as you get over 50, um, to be able to see what you need to read. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to fit it here and stuff, but, but we'll read that in, in a moment. Just as by way of introduction as you're turning, um, I believe the American church is relatively healthy, just so you know. I don't tend to take as pessimistic a view as some. I think God's doing a lot of work in the church in America. But there are some unhealthy trends that are there. Uh, and in some circles right now, it's a high priority to, to stay relevant to the society. So it's a, it's a high priority, maybe even the highest priority. I think the heart behind that is the desire to have a positive impact. So it's a good desire, uh, but, the, but the desire leads to this priority. And I think often there are certain assumptions about what will make us relevant to the culture. Um, there's a lot of in influential guidance out there that basically calls the church to more or less, in, in my view at least, to compete with other social outlets and endeavors that are there uh, in order to make an impact. Um, now, we want to make an impact, but I think if we start thinking that we need to compete somehow with other social organizations and so forth, we're, we're in for some trouble. If we need to compete with youth, spo youth sports and, and days at the beach in the summertime and, and your workout club and, and uh, your all-inclusive vacation resort, we're in for a lot of trouble. One, we're not called to do that. Secondly, we're not composed uh, to do that. We just don't have the makeup to do that. And, and so if we think that, you know, if we want to really impact the culture in, in Christ's name for, for its good, and it means we have to compete with these things, we're, we're in trouble. Um, and we may, you know, in our minds think, well, no, of course, but there can be this subtle pressure on us to do that. This subtle pressure to be just as entertaining or just as inspiring or just as kid-friendly or just as worthwhile and, and so forth. What we're going to learn today uh, is that we are doing something radically different. As good as those other organizations might be, and, and, and I don't mean to say anything negative about them, as good as they might be, we're not doing what they're doing. We're doing something radically different. And it's so important to get that and to understand that and so that we don't come under some sort of false impression of what we ought to be, but instead live out what God calls us to be as His church. We're going to read this passage and what I 
think you'll see as we go through it is that genuine Christian ministry points to Christ in a straightforward, dependent, and humble way. And that's what we're going to do as we go through this. We're going to look at that statement. We're going to see those different aspects of it. But first, let's read God's Word because that's what matters ultimately, what His Word says. So I want to pray and then we'll dig in. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we pray that You would help us to hear You speak through Your Word today. We pray, Lord, that You would change us in our understanding of who we are and what You're doing in and through us. I pray, Lord God, it wouldn't just be to give us the ability to contrast ourselves with other organizations, but more importantly, to hear Your call to us and to give us fresh faith and fresh inspiration from You to do what You call us to do. So speak to us. Help me to teach Your Word well this morning. Help us to hear from You and encounter the life that You give. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as Your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's Word, 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6. through I'm going to put that big old Bible right there so I have space. We're going to continue to look at this passage. And the first point I want to look at is how genuine Christian ministry points to Christ in a straightforward way. Paul starts out speaking of this ministry. He says, therefore, having this ministry. He's referring to what he's been talking about previously. And as we've been going through this, we've seen him talk about this ministry. Different aspects of this ministry. This ministry is Paul's ministry. And he is certainly unique as an apostle. But also the things that he is doing and his team is doing are common to all Christians and common to all of us. And so when he says we have this ministry or having this ministry, certainly he means his own and his team's, but he also means our ministry altogether. And he's speaking of this ministry. He's been speaking of this ministry. And we learned last week and previous weeks that this is a ministry of glory. This is a ministry dealing with the most glorious things ever shown. This is a ministry dealing with glory that surpasses previous revelations of glory. And we saw earlier whether that revelation be the revelation of Moses as Moses went to the mountain and talked to God face to face or Moses went into the tent of meeting and saw God face to face and God in His glory and His brightness of His glory and greatness and goodness shone on Moses and Moses' face was, was filled with light. And so when he went out of the tent and came down from the mountain, his face shone like the sun. It was a glory that was there and Paul has told us earlier that the present ministry, this ministry now, that we have exceeds that in glory. It not only exceeds that in glory, but it exceeds 
all previous revelations of God's glory. God shows His glory in many ways. Certainly through the Old Testament and His Word there and the covenant through Moses. But also in His creation. All around us, we see His glory. We see creation with all of its cosmic greatness, all of its beauty. A, a July morning like this morning, we see God's glory on display. You, you look at the day and think, this is a great day. It's beautiful. That's God's glory on display. He's a God who is glorious. He's good and He's great. And He shows it in His love and goodness. We see it in human love and sacrifice as well. Watching the, we watched the Macy's firework presentation. I don't know if you guys saw it, but they had these little, little vignettes of people who were serving in different ways, different Americans. And, and just to hear their, their hearts to serve others, doing things like helping people coming out of human trafficking helping people in underprivileged areas get, uh, get an education, helping people in youth uh, detention actually be educated. This one guy, he had, like, uh, had been doing it for years. He had 10 or 20 people that had come out and were teachers themselves as a result of what he was doing. That's glory too. That's the glory of God working through people. Uh, and so we see glory in all these ways, but Paul's saying this ministry exceeds this. This ministry that he has and that we have exceeds it in glory. It surpasses all these things and revealing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the full and final revelation, the showing of God's glory. So greater than creation, greater than the greatest things that we see in human love is the glory of God in Christ. And this is the ministry that Paul has. It's a ministry of the truth of God the Son. God coming to earth, taking on flesh, being born as a baby, living a perfect, good, righteous life. Teaching amazing truth, demonstrating God's power over the forces of nature and the spiritual realm through miracles. Dying in our place on the cross. Rising again on the third day. Ascending to rule from heaven and returning. It is a ministry of God the Son being revealed. This ministry is. This ministry is a ministry of the Holy Spirit He's been talking about. Where God's truth and presence is known by God the Holy Spirit as He brings these things to bear. As He shows us the light as Christ is proclaimed as He opens up our eyes to see glory. This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. It is a ministry of transformed lives we talked about as well. Transformed lives being changed all over the world. Demonstrating the reality of the Kingdom of God through individuals transformed by this good news and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about transformed lives, we learned last week. And this is happening throughout the world. This room is full of transformed lives. And there are buildings and spaces throughout the earth, all over the earth, among all, almost all ethnic groups. There's still another 6,000 to reach. But, but among many throughout the world, there are rooms full of people that are all examples of the reality of the kingdom by their transformed lives. Being ever transformed more and more until one day, fully transformed in the presence of the Lord. This is this ministry that Paul's talking about. It is a glorious ministry. It is a ministry he has. It is a ministry we have. If you are a believer in Christ, this is your ministry. It's a ministry of glory. It's a ministry of God the Son. A ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry of transformed lives. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, Paul says, just that first sentence is really key to get because I think it flows into the rest. It's a ministry that we have. It's a glorious ministry, but it's a ministry based entirely on mercy. It's by the mercy of God. In other words, you or I have done nothing to, in and of ourselves, earn it or qualify us for this ministry. 
It comes by the mercy of God. It comes because God is a God of grace and mercy. God is a God who transforms lives that don't deserve to be transformed, but in His great love for us, even though we've rebelled and turned away and really run from Him one way or the other, there's different ways of running. Some of us run in ways that are very obvious. We run into crazy stuff that destroys lives and our own lives and everyone around us knows it. But other of us run by trying to be good enough on our own to earn God's favor, thinking if, you know, if I can be good enough, then I'll make it with God. And that's running away from God too because God says, don't do that. I alone am good. And apart from me, you are not good. You need forgiveness. You need a Savior. You need a God who is the true God. And so we run away, yet God in His mercy runs after us and sends His Son and comes after us with His truth. And so we have this ministry, how? By the mercy of God. And when we get that, when we get that it's a ministry of glory and all these other things that come with that, and when we get that it's a ministry of the mercy of God, it's undeserved yet given to us, understanding those things changes us in significant ways. So what Paul's going to say about how he does ministry in the following paragraph comes out of this reality. So when you put glory and grace together, so mercy and grace, mercy is not getting what we deserve, grace is getting what we don't deserve. They, they go together parallel in Scripture. So glory and grace, when we understand that this ministry is ours, by glory and grace, it allows us to operate in traits that, that are seemingly opposite. So we can be both amazingly humble and yet incredibly bold. We can have world-changing expectations, but also great contentment if those things don't happen the way we plan. It gives us great passion for change, but also great patience for change. And these are the sorts of characteristics you see of Paul and his team and you see of mature Christians. Because they get this, that they have this ministry of glory and of grace. A great, incredible ministry to be involved with, but totally undeserved. All of grace and mercy. So Paul is starting out that way. He understands that. And he says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So the effect on him is to not lose heart. And, and we need to back up a little bit, right? And remember what's been going on with Paul. That he has already said very early up front in this letter, that we despaired of life itself, right? Remember that? That he was under such a trial that he despaired of life itself. And, and also we know the context that he's dealing with this church in Corinth that he, he founded. He, was, he and his team founded. And these are precious people he loves. And, and they're actually uh, rejecting him and, and calling him incompetent and a phony. And he's trying to help them. And he's trying to make appeal. So th that's the background. Those are some real reasons to lose heart, right? I mean, if think about it. You're feeling totally depressed, totally despairing. Your, your church that you love has now rejected you. There's things that are causing him to lose heart, but he doesn't because he understands something. That he has this amazing ministry that he gets to be a part of. This ministry of glory. This ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of transformed lives. Transforming Him, but also transforming those that He's ministering to. He gets to be involved in this, this epic work of God in people's lives. And it's all of mercy. He doesn't deserve it. So He's not around, just sitting there licking His wounds and looking at Himself. He's looking to God in ministry. 
And he's, he's maintaining gratefulness for God's work in his life. He doesn't lose heart. And so when we understand these things, when we understand the glory of God and the grace of God together, it helps us not to lose heart. What are some things that are causing you perhaps to lose heart? We can face disappointments. We can face trials. We can face frustrations. There are lots of things that can cause us to lose heart. We can face obstacles. We can face sickness. Yet in this very first verse, we understand these two truths, this ministry of glory that we have, and that's all of grace, gives us the ability to not lose heart, but to keep on trusting God. Keep on believing that He's working in us and working in others. Keep on giving Him thanks for rescuing us and using us and making us a part of what He's doing that lasts for eternity. This perspective has affected Paul in many ways as well, so he continues. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's actually not only affected his, his heart attitude, but it's affected his methodology, what he does, how he ministers. And so he's saying he's renounced these things. He's refused to practice these things. He's renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. He's refusing to practice cunning or tamper with the Word of God. These are, these are all things actually that, that I think are understandable temptations if you have a ministry that's not this ministry and it isn't by the mercy of God. And I don't think Paul's trying to say that this is case of the very worst examples of these things. So as you hear these things, underhanded ways and disgraceful underhanded ways, you might be thinking like, well, yeah, of course, you're going to renounce that sort of stuff, like terrible like you know, embezzlement and those sort of things. But, but I don't think Paul's meaning that because the context is he's trying to help the Corinthians understand what genuine ministry looks like in contrast to what they're seeing. And I don't think the people who are kind of saying he's a phony are embezzling and committing great crimes they're just doing things that are maybe even just subtly different than Paul, but significantly different. So when, I, when he says these things about disgraceful, underhanded ways, I think they're more subtle than the open sort of ways of like, wow, that's terrible what's going on. I think there's the sort of subtle things that happen to all of us when we forget that we've received this ministry. It's a glorious ministry and it's by the grace of God. And we start to think it's our ministry. And we start to think that I'm responsible to make it happen. And so when we forget these things, that it's a ministry of glory and we think it's something else, it's a mundane ministry, whatever, I'm so tired of doing that, I'm so tired of teaching children's ministry, they never listen, I'm giving up. It becomes that sort of ministry and you think, well, I gotta, maybe if I work harder on my lesson plan for children's ministry, they'll, they'll listen. When you forget those things that you've received this ministry that's a glorious ministry and it's of mercy, I think that's when you start to, to go and take those first steps of doing things in what would be shameful, underhanded ways and practicing cunning or tampering with the Word. I think it, it has to do with shifting your methodology. And so you start thinking, well, maybe we need to make a ministry that's just really attractive to people. Have all the bells and whistles and all the fun stuff and just add that. And not, and not that there's anything wrong with fun stuff, by the way. So don't hear what I'm not saying, right? So genuine Christian ministry is not boring and unfun and all that. That's not what I'm saying. 
But we can go the other way and think, what I got to do is make it fun and attractive. Get the bells and whistles. Make it something that people really want to do. Make it really relevant to their felt needs. Or maybe we need a charismatic, eloquent leader. We need a rock star. We need, and I'm not your rock star, by the way, just to let you know that. We need a rock star, you know, a celebrity. Get him talking. You know, get a good-looking guy who dresses well, whose pants are cuffed properly, and so forth, and, get, and let him loose, and then we'll be successful. Those are the sorts of temptations that I think are there that Paul's addressing. Or like, it could be, we, just, we have to do everything with excellence. Now, it's an excellence that in this case would be driven more about pleasing people than honoring God. Excellence is good when it honors God. We all have to be honest with ourselves. We're, we're not all that excellent. So we want to be careful with excellence not to think that we're presenting something we're not, right? So there's a place of doing things well but being honest with who you are. But you can start thinking it's about excellence. And then you can start thinking, well, tampering with the Word of God. Like, you know, this ministry is hard and, and it's, you know, if it's, I'm not sure if it's going to work. And some of this stuff, not too popular nowadays. So let's just kind of tamper with it a little bit. I mean, not, the, not completely, but just a little bit. Let's just kind of back off a little bit on talking about sin because, you know, I mean, we just, people don't want to hear that stuff. Let's back up a little bit on, the, on this idea of God having to die for us. You know, we'll, it's there, but we'll just, just tamper. Th- those are the sorts of things I think Paul's getting at. And when we don't get that this is a ministry that's glorious, and by the mercy of God, but instead it's something else, that's when we start to, we are tempted to start doing things like this. The reality is that the Gospel is offensive. There's nothing more condemning than the truth of the Gospel. Because the Gospel says you are so sinful that the only solution that works, not your good works, not your best attempts to make up for what you did wrong, no, it falls short. What... what the significance of your rebellion against God is so great that God Himself had to come and become a human being and live a righteous life in your place because of you, your mess-ups. He had to be the one to, to be the A-plus student to do it right. And He did it in such a glorious way. You can read about that in the Gospels. He had to come and do that. And then He had to go to the cross to take your penalty on Himself and die for your sins. That's how significant your sin is that God had to come in the flesh to die for your sins. There's nothing more condemning than that. There's nothing that affects our self-image more than that. But there's another side to the Gospel. But there's no way around if we're going to present the Gospel that reality of, of, this, of the condemning aspect of it. We have to admit, yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, I'm that bad. That I needed Jesus and only Jesus could rescue me. But the other side of it, of course, is there's nothing more dignifying than the Gospel. Because it says that he loved us so much that He desired to rescue us. And He's so much for us that He rescues us and redeems us and He's working in us to make us like His very Son in all of our individual ways, but, but like Jesus. He's committed to our glorification. He's committed to our transformation. He loves us that much. He who began a good work will finish it. And so there's no greater message of our dignity and our worth and, our, and how we're beloved then the Gospel as well. So they go together though and there's no way to take them apart. But it can be tempting to tamper and to commit these sorts of errors. I, I visited a church uh, some years ago. It was part of a family of churches that's known for its Gospel fidelity. And I was only there once so I don't, 
I can't say conclusively, but the pastor was preaching through Galatians, and as I listened to the worship songs, they were all good songs, and as I listened to the message, it, it was good in so many ways. He um, did a great job in so many ways, but afterwards I just noticed, you know what, I've not heard once in this whole worship service anything about the cross. I've heard about Jesus rescuing us, but not about the cross. There's no bloody cross here in the songs or the message anywhere. Now it was only one Sunday, so I don't know. But there's a lot about Jesus rescuing, which is a good thing. But how did He rescue us? Why did He rescue us? And there was nothing, no mention of the word sin that I remember. It was about brokenness. And so Jesus comes to rescue us from our brokenness. Yes, indeed, that's true, but that's not the whole picture, is it? It seemed like that they were trying to take away the offense of the bloody cross and our sin. And I just want to say we can go there too. Easily. Personally and as a church. But, like Paul, we have a much better way than going that way. That's why Paul chooses to do this. It isn't because Paul likes to somehow make people feel bad. I enjoy telling people that you know, the cross condemns them. I don't enjoy it. I tremble every time I think about it. I don't enjoy it. That's not the motivation. It's better though. The whole story and its reality that brings the reality of, our, of the punishment, the just punishment for our sins, but the reality of our salvation and how much God loves us, that's a better message than dumbing down the Gospel. That's a ministry of glory because that message changes lives. That message is something that honors God, that God loves to work through in the power of the Holy Spirit to really change people and to change them on the first day they believe and progressively, bit by bit, ever-increasing glory. It's a ministry of glory and it's of grace. And so we have something better. And so Paul is affected by this. He's not going to tamper with God's Word. But instead, what's he going to do? By the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to each man's conscience. Each person's conscience. So what do we do with this thing? We say, you know what? Here it is. I'm going to be honest. Here's the Gospel. Here's the truth. I'm going to let you know. And it's by this open honest, straightforward proclamation of the Gospel that glory happens in people's lives. And that we understand and live in grace. So, let's just think of a minute closing out this point. I didn't put my timer on and I have no idea how long I've gone. Um, let's just think briefly about application of this for you. We have VBS coming up. And so we live in this reality, don't we? We want to love these kids as best we can. We want to give them the funnest time with us. Bring any questions you want or just sit and listen. And you, you won't be called upon. This is how we operate. I think we're called to this in every way. I think one area where many of us are most tempted, those of us who are parents, are tempted to practice something different with our children. We love them so much that sometimes it's hard to trust God to do the work that we can't do. And I think that's an area where at times we bring in other methods, pressures, and so forth. And I'm not trying to say be laissez-faire with your kids in every way, but recognize you can't change your kids' hearts. You can tell them the truth, you can love them, and you can give them the truth and law of God, but only God can change their hearts. And so this truth applies, I think, to all of us in all these realms, including at home with our children. Second point. Genuine Christian ministry points to Christ in a dependent way. So Paul continues in, in the the line of thought here. And there's the natural question, if this is how you're going to do it, Paul, you know, what's going to happen with your results? You might not attract a whole lot of people. And so he begins to answer that in, in verse 3 and following. 
Because there's this idea, right? The best way to maintain your customer base is to, to always treat the customer right, right? The customer is always right. That's, that's the business practice, right? So you want to have great customer satisfaction. You want them to be happy. And so it can be tempting to want to come up with other methods and to soften the gospel somehow, soften these things, to, tr to try to attract people. And to think that, that's what will get people in the door and then we'll, Lord will and God will make an impact in their lives. Um, that's, I think, behind some of what Paul's going to answer. By the way, related to this, Thomas Rayner says in his book, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched, about this question, about this question of, of you know, if you, if you soften things, you're going to be more attractive for people to come to know Jesus. He says 91% of the formerly unchurched in his study indicated that doctrine, and doctrine is just a, a body of truth, that doctrine was an important factor that attracted them to the church. Almost all of the formerly unchurched responded that doctrine was important. Why, we asked, is doctrine so important to you? The most frequent response was their desire to know the truth or absolutes. So people who are being drawn don't want watered-down stuff. They want stuff that works. The watered-down stuff doesn't work. Jesus rescuing you from your brokenness is great, but it's not the whole thing, and it won't help you when you realize you've really messed up and sinned and done the wrong thing and you're lost and, and desperate for a solution. Truth makes the difference. And so that's what Paul's saying here. It exposes our dependency on God because if, if, it's, if it's this message that people don't like, then we can't do anything to make them like it. And so the reality is, he's saying, even if our Gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So this method doesn't work with those who are perishing. It won't attract them. That's just the reality. There's a reality behind this. Now, by the way, um, people who are perishing aren't necessarily going to stay on that pathway. And so what Paul means, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are, are on their way to living life without God, they're not going to hear the message. It's veiled to them. And so as you proclaim the glory of God in Christ, they're just not going to get it. They might get aspects of it, but they're not going to get it. That's how it works. They're on their way to, to, be, to perishing, to living life forever apart from God. And the reality of, of separation from God and the reality of hell, which is another thing we don't like to talk about, but it's a reality. If we choose to live our lives on our own terms without depending on God, that's where we're going. And if you're on that pathway, you're currently veiled. That's the reality here. It says here that it's even more than just that you're veiled. It says, in their case, the God of this world, the God of this world meaning the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so there is an actual, active spiritual battle going on. There's an actual evil being who's working to work in their minds so that they can't see the light as it really is. That's the reality. That's the background here. There's a blindness going on. And it's important to understand it's not a total blindness. There's a degree of truth and right and wrong that all people see, but maybe it's like color blindness. Um, color blindness is when you can't see certain colors in the right way. So red, green, color blindness is the most common. 8% of Northern European uh, descent males are colorblind. That's a high number. And so you can't distinguish red and green. Some of it, for some, it's blue and yellow. Others can have total color blindness. And I think it's a good metaphor for the blindness that Paul's talking about because when the gospel is proclaimed the goodness of God in Christ this message that I keep repeating today gets proclaimed you just can't see it as all that great it's like oh that's nice but it just is not it's it's in shades of gray rather than glorious color this is the truth 
This is the reality that we live in. And we can't ourselves do anything about it. And so what do we do? What do we do in light of this? Well, we put our faith in the Lord. We keep on loving people. We keep on sharing the truth with them. We pray and ask God to break in. To open blind eyes. And He does it, right? Because this ministry is a ministry about transformed lives, right? And we're in a room full of transformed lives. And throughout the world, God is bringing light and darkness. He is opening people's eyes who are currently blind. So as long as we're breathing, we are praying and holding out hope for those around us that we love and know to have their eyes opened. We, we, we live with that, but we live with the reality that until that happens, they're veiled. And, and so we don't change our methodology to somehow you know, bring them into the church and get them just involved without them being transformed. Now, we want to bring people in. We want to love people. But we ultimately need to present the glorious light of the Gospel, which is going to be offensive. But that's the reality is that there's, there's blindness there, but we love and we pray and we persist and we don't give up and we remember that God is in the business of transforming lives. So we believe Him and refuse to give up. We refuse to lose heart. Paul said that earlier, right? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We are driven by this reality. We're remembering the wonderful work of God. And there's so much that we see around us. I was, as I was preparing this, I was just thinking of uh, Michael Mills. And Michael, if you're listening to this, we're grateful for your, the work of God in your life. Michael uh, came to Christ, was baptized, and got married to Sarah, and, and they moved away. But Michael came from a militant atheistic background. When I first talked with him, he was militantly opposed to Christianity. And yet God worked over a year's time just to radically change him. He came to faith, was baptized. He's in his, they're in a great church in, outside New York City, growing, serving. I, uh, I know their pastor, and uh, he, he's very glad to have them in there. But that's just one example, and I can name others, of a transformed life. And so we, we believe God, and we don't give up. Have you given up? Have you begun to think, well, maybe it's a different method? Maybe we need a rock star preacher, or maybe we need a special program. Hear the Word of God. Hear what Paul's teaching here. Put your faith in Him. Put your faith in the ministry that He has planned out. The methodology that He has given us to proclaim Christ. To wait on Him. To look for the power of the Spirit. To model to others what it is to walk with Jesus. Final point. Genuine Christian ministry points to Christ in a humble way. So Paul continues in this section. This big Bible is nice. I can see everything. Um, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. So Paul says, in light of all this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't proclaim ourselves because we want you to hear about Jesus. If we proclaim ourselves, we're defeating the purpose. If you're here because you think that you know, merely that the church has a nice program, then that defeats the purpose. We want you to see Jesus. We don't want to proclaim ourselves individually. I don't think most of us would do that. I don't think most of us would be like, you know, it's all about me. We could do that. But I think sometimes we miss the mark and we think it's about our church or about our ministry. Instead of recognizing that ultimately our church and our ministry should be about Jesus. So we as a church exist to proclaim Jesus, to live in Jesus, 
to trust in Jesus, to model the life of Christ. We want to point to Him. And so Paul's saying, we don't, we don't proclaim ourselves. It isn't about our team. It's about Jesus. And, and how do we think of ourselves? As your servants. That word servant is, a, is slightly stronger in the original language. It's translated into English servant because of all the, the baggage that goes with the, in America the word slave. But it actually is literally slave. Slaves in those days were more like indentured servants. So that's why it's translated servant. But when Paul says, we are, we are your servants, basically he's saying, we're your indentured servants. We're here to serve you guys. We want you to see Jesus and our whole effort and work is to point to Jesus, to help you. And we're doing that for Jesus' sake. We're, we're ultimately His servant. He's our ultimate master. By the way, we all serve somebody, as Bob Dylan said. You've got to serve somebody. We all serve somebody. We all are indentured servants to somebody. It might be yourself. It might be something else. It might be a person or a relationship or a substance or a job or even your family or something like that. We all serve something, somebody, and the very best one to serve is Jesus. Coming to Him as Lord. Coming to Him and bowing to Him as, as Lord. Um, Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what it means is that He is Lord. He's in charge. He's the King. He's the King of the universe. He's, the, he's God Himself. He's my personal King. So this is how I live. And so Paul's saying this is how he lives and he's calling the Corinthians to the same and God through His Word is calling us to the same. We want to proclaim Christ. We want to live and lead in such a way in our ministry that we proclaim Christ. We want to know how glorious Jesus is and live in light of that. We want to understand how gracious the Gospel is and live in light of that. We want to understand how dependent we are on Christ for this ministry and live in light of that. We want to serve Jesus. Our ministries are not about ourselves. So just by point, way of application, let's think about our different ministries and how we serve. Is it about us? Getting our way? Doing our thing? Or is it about pointing to Jesus? Always a good reminder, right? Because we can forget. If you're on the worship team, you can forget this is about Jesus. You can think it's about my music and doing my music well. Or you can think about it's that other person's music that they're not doing so well. Um, and forget it's about Jesus. Sound guys can forget. Children's ministry guys can forget. Deacons and deaconesses can forget. Paul calls us in light of the reality of this ministry that's of mercy of God and, and we're, we're working under Jesus to minister this way. Finally, and I'll close quickly with this last verse. For God said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, he's referencing Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Where God speaks light into the universe. So, so the universe is chaotic and dark and God speaks light into it. And He's comparing that actually with the Gospel. With this ministry. He says, uh, God said that. Now... God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see the connection. He's talking about creation, light being spoken into darkness. And now he's speaking about new creation, the light, the ultimate light, the greatest light being spoken into a disordered and darkened heart. And, and the implication here is that this second shedding of light is a greater shedding of light than the first. Think about that. 
The light that you see today from the sun comes from the fusion reaction in the sun where hydrogens come together to form helium. helium. 620 uh, million tons of hydrogen per second are fused into helium and create a fireball that burns in the sky for centuries and centuries. So hot that if you go out there without suntan lotion and you have skin like me, you get irradiated and burned to a crisp. Uh, so hot that you could power a hairdryer in every square meter. That's fusion. And, and this passage is saying that there's a greater light that's shown in our hearts than that light. And so just one illustration to close with um, is what would you do if you had that sort of fusion reactor available yourself? If you had access to a fusion reactor, if you had Mr. Fusion Home Energy Reactor, like in Back to the Future, I think we have a picture of that, a little unit, a little fusion unit you had, what would you do with that? First off, you'd use it, right? You wouldn't forget that you have a fusion unit. You'd always be like, this thing's great. I don't have any energy needs. Matter of fact, I can power my house and all my friends' houses as well. So you'd use it and you'd share it with others. And that's what Paul's getting at here is that you have this light shown in your hearts that is basically a Mr. Fusion fusion reactor in your own heart. You live in light of this revelation. You live with it inside yourself. You're going to hear more about that next week. And so we live in light of this and we share it with others. That's who we are. That's what we're called to. Well, let me pray and um, we'll transition. Lord, I thank You uh, for Your grace. We thank You for these truths. We thank You for this ministry that we have from You and as it is ours by grace. We thank You for all that it is. And I pray as a result, we would live understanding this unique ministry we have. Living these ways as Paul talks about. And we pray, Lord God, through living these things out that many would come to the light and find life in You. You would use us as a church to affect many. And we would live in joy and not lose heart in what we do because of what we have. We ask for this in Christ's name. Amen.